We're drawing closer to the end of our Standing on the Promises summer series. Uh, we're going to be looking at Joshua 23, 14, 15, and 16 this morning. And this is a little bit a bigger picture sermon. We're not looking at an individual promise. Uh, so we're looking today more at the forest than the individual trees that are the promises of our God, okay? Joshua 23, beginning at verse 14. Before we read, let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would be present here and fill your people in a very special way, and that you would bless the reading and the hearing of your word. May you meet each one of us by your word and your spirit, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Joshua 23, beginning at verse 14, and this is Joshua speaking to the people of Israel. Now I am about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled, not one has failed. But just as every good promise of the Lord your God has come true, so the Lord will bring on you all the evil he has threatened until he has destroyed you from this good land he has given you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given you. God's Old Testament people are in a great place when we meet up with them here at the end of the book of Joshua. These were the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob who God made a covenant with in the book of Genesis. He, the God of the universe, would be their God and they would be his people. Being on God's side meant all would be well. They would flourish in the land of Canaan. They'd be blessed. And they'd be blessed to be a blessing to the nations and the peoples all around them. After a famine in the land, God's people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, ended up in Egypt where they were eventually enslaved by the pharaohs. During that dark time, we read in Exodus how God saved his people and brought them out of there, out of slavery, with all kinds of mighty deeds and signs. And the purpose was to bring them back to Canaan, the land God originally promised to them so that they could thrive, living for the Lord there. Early on in that journey, God graciously gave his people the Ten Commandments that we read this morning. Those laws would be their guide for exactly how to live for their God. Unlike the ways of the nations all around, the Lord showed his people his way, the way of love the way of loving him above all, and how to love others too. Surprisingly soon after leaving Egypt, 
the people grumbled and were generally very ungrateful for all that God had done. And so God decided to delay their going into the land for 40 years so that pretty much that whole generation who grumbled would die off. The book of Joshua tells us how God led that next generation of God's people into the land. And we read in that book how God gave them the land. There were battles all the time, basically for about seven years. And as the people went in with courageous faith, led by this man of faith, Moses' successor, Joshua, through it all, it's made very clear that God was the reason for Israel's success more than their military strength or strategy. Whether you look at Israel's past or their present or their future, the people of God are in a great place. God originally chose them when he called Abraham out of Ur and said he'd be a God to him and his descendants after him. He made a a covenant with them. Covenant being that unique, special biblical word to talk about the relationship between God and his people. God remembered that covenant even through those dark years in Egypt. And he rescued his people. The land he promised they would have, he brought them back into that land. And he gave them the land of promise. We meet them here after they've been in the land a while. The conquering is in in the past. Joshua is old. He's about to die. He's saying final words to God's people. So this is a a very special time. Their long-time, faith-filled, courageous leader, Joshua, they're listening carefully. And he says, you know with all your heart and soul, don't you, that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. And they would look back and they would know deep in their hearts that this was true. God had never failed them. What a place to be. What a place on which to stand. And so the future of God's people, it was as bright as the promises of God. Everything is set for success. Now they could live in the land, serve God with thankful hearts for all he'd done, and they could flourish As they lived the way of the covenant, they would be a light to the nations so that others would know their God. Missions, evangelism, that was part of God's plan for his Old Testament people too. There's a very real sense in which this all describes us too. God has saved us. He's brought us into covenant relationship with him. God has given us not only the Ten Commandments, but now we have his entire inspired word to show us the way to live for him. And and it lays out the path of blessing and, and success for life on this earth. We think of our God and we stand amazed today. Our hearts 
are filled with his love. You think back on your own life today and you know God has never failed you. He's never once broken a promise to you. There may have been a time, maybe more than one time, where you have felt God wasn't there in your life. But he always has been. Like that famous Footprints poem from 20, 30 years ago now, maybe longer, you remember that? Your whole life, you see two sets of footprints in the sand. Yours and Jesus walking beside you. But then you look back on your life during the struggles and and you see only one pair of footprints in the sand and, and you think that God left you to walk that road alone. That's why it was so hard. But then God says to you, my child, during your times of trial and suffering, when you see only one set of footprints, that was when I was carrying you. And then you know in your heart the truth of that. He has never left you. Not one of all his good promises has failed. He's never failed you. And that means your future is bright. You can't go wrong. You can stand on the promises. You can soar into your future. And that was the case for God's people Here in Joshua 23 also, Israel was poised for great success. God had done all this for him. And then he said, all you need to do is follow me now. Live thankful lives for all I've done. A covenant has two sides, two partners. I am faithful to you. I will be. All you have to do is be faithful to me. In verse 16, we read what the results would be for the people forsaking their side of the covenant. The Lord's anger would burn against them. They would perish from the good land he had given them. How hard could that be just to follow this one request of God to follow him, to stay faithful to him? God had done so much for them. All his promises had been fulfilled for them. You'd think it would be a no-brainer. Just follow me. Just love me back. But it wasn't a no-brainer. God's people could not stand on those promises and simply follow the Lord. They were not true to him who was true to them. They left God for other gods. We read in the next book of the Bible, Judges, a few years down in Israel's history, Judges 2 verse 10, after that whole generation the generation standing there with Joshua at the end of his life, after that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. One generation later, oh, they fell fast and they fell hard. We read that they forsook God, this faithful God, who had never forsaken them, who had blessed them so richly, And they started serving the false gods of that land. And as promised, God's anger burned against them. They were putting themselves in danger of rejecting the promises of God by breaking covenant. But God was patient. 
God sent covenant messengers, the prophets, to remind the people that if they would just turn back to him and follow him, it'd be all right again. They'd receive the blessings of the covenant again. And, and there remained some faithful people and some faithful leaders and in some small times of renewal we read about in the Old Testament. But the overall trend became clear. The people couldn't follow the Lord. Even after he gave them chance after chance after chance, he sent them prophet after prophet after prophet. God had no choice but to take them from the land of promise and into exile. But then even there, he preserved a small group that didn't even deserve it. He didn't forget them. And through that remnant, he brought Jesus into the world. We look in our hearts and we're overwhelmed with the faithfulness of God. But at the same time, we look in our hearts and we know we are unfaithful. We know in our hearts God is true to his promises, but we also know in our hearts that we are not. We are not faithful to our promises to God. And that's a major problem. God's Old Testament people couldn't simply follow him. They just couldn't do it, and neither can we. God himself would have to do it. God himself would have to step in and hold up our end of the covenant. And that's what happened when our Lord Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. In his life on this earth, he succeeded where we all fail. He remained faithful to God's ways while all the rest of mankind was unfaithful. He upheld the end of the covenant that we couldn't. Romans 5 talks about sin entering the world through Adam, the first man. He represented us all in the Garden of Eden, and he failed, says the Bible. And so through him, we all die. Covenant faithfulness isn't in our DNA anymore. Romans 5 also tells us that there is a second Adam, a new Adam, Jesus And in him we all live because though we deserve the covenant curses our text talks about, Jesus came, says God's word, to be a curse for us. He paid the price for us not following the Lord. He paid the price for our sin. And that's why 2 Corinthians 1.20 is one of the most amazing texts on the promises of God in all of Scripture. It says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. We know in our hearts that we have failed the most basic call to follow the Lord. Loving him above all, our neighbor as ourselves, we've made terrible mistakes. But we also know if we embrace Jesus in our hearts, God looks at us with a total yes when we deserve a no. Because of Jesus, nothing can ever 
void the precious promises of God. And so for us, for you and me today, there are only promises, only promises, only blessings. Joshua is the Old Testament name for Jesus. Jesus, Joshua, they both mean our God saves. When Joshua was talking to the people, he brought up the covenant promises and the covenant curses. But on the other side of the cross, the perfect Joshua, our Lord Jesus, offers God's people only promises. God's people don't have to fear the curses. You don't have to fear failure. You know in your heart you are unfaithful and you have failed. You know it. But you also know in your heart that your Jesus did not fail. Without Jesus, promises and curses are offered. And we can only get the promises if we follow God, except no one can do it. So in reality, without Jesus, we are all left with only the covenant curses. The Bible tells us we're in deep, deep trouble without Jesus. But with Jesus, it's completely different for you and me. It's only promises, every single one. That makes us so grateful, doesn't it? How could we live any other way in our lives than to love God who loved us so much that he sent Jesus and to love others as he asked us to? How could we give him anything less than our all, our everything? How could we not be excited about being part of his people, his church, where we thank him for all he's done, where we learn together more and more about grateful covenant living, and where we get to recommit our lives and our hearts to the Lord Jesus every week together in worship. And how could we not be excited about the mission of his church to make his glorious name great, to point people, to point everyone to the one in whom the promises of God are all yes. There's a pretty important theologian and professor you may have never heard of before who lived in the last century. His name was John Gresham Machen. He started Westminster Seminary, which is a good, reformed, Presbyterian-type seminary in the country, and he started the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. You may have heard of Westminster or the OPC. On his deathbed, as this, this great thinker and pastor and professor, as he was thinking about the most ultimate of matters. So he was thinking about leaving this earth, and, and as he knew and had in his heart that promise of eternal life and that hope, he said these words, I'm so thankful for the finished work of Christ. Friends, the finished work of Christ. That's why we can talk at all about the promises of our God these many weeks. It's because of Jesus. They're ours only in Him. 
That's why it's only promises for God's people. Isn't God so good to us? Not one of his promises has failed. And it's because of our great Savior, Jesus. May each one of us be sure this morning that we've asked him into our hearts. And may we trust in him and turn to him anew each and every day. That's how to receive all the promises of God, every single one. And as we do that, as you do that in your life, as we do that as households, as we do that as a church, then we will stand on the promises. In fact, we will soar on the promises into our future. Because of Jesus, amen.